message the elements of a crisis. Now, we're not saying that what we're going to talk about is going to happen exactly. We're just pulling from the text some of the things that we might have to go through, we might have to deal with when we're in crisis. And some of those things has to do with our emotions. It has to do with how we're feeling and what we're to do with those feelings. But it also deals with how we can respond before the face of God. And so we're going to look at when a crisis happened in our lives, what are some of the things we might experience? And I have seven elements here. One, we might be burdened down, might become burdened down. Two, we might become overwhelmed with fear. Fear might consume us. Three, it might require us to cry out for help. Four, we might in the moment become angry because of what we're going through. Our emotions are real. And we cannot act like we don't feel that. We might feel betrayed. We're going to deal with that with David. Dealing with betrayal from a close friend. We might want justice because of what we have gone through. And lastly, the seventh element is We're going to need someone we can trust and someone who cares. And so how how do you deal with your difficulties? How do you deal with your trials? Do Do you run like a soldier before his enemies, weapon in hand, without taking notice of the enemy? Or do you stand back? to try to see what's going on, to see how you can plan to be successful and to be victorious? Are you thinking about how you can flank your enemy so that you might catch them off guard? The point is, in a crisis, we must have a plan. Because in a crisis, these kinds of things can overtake us if we're not careful. And we need to have an antidote for that. We need to be ready. Martin Luther gave some advice when he deals with trials. And and I'm assuming this is in light of after he's taken it to the Lord, what are we to do next? And so he says, when I am assailed with heavy tribulation, I rush out among my pigs rather than remain alone by myself. The human heart is like a milestone in a meal. When you put wheat under it, it turns and grinds and brushes the wheat to flour. If you put no wheat, it still grinds on. But then tears itself, it grinds and wears away. So the human heart, 
unless it be occupied with some employment, leaves space for the devil who wriggles himself in and brings with him a whole host of evil thoughts, temptations, and tribulations which grind out the heart. The the one thing I want to point out is that he says, unless uh, the human heart be occupied with some employment, it leaves space for the devil. Again, a pointing to having a plan in the midst of crises. So the first element you might experience is you might feel the need to tell someone. Listen to David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea of mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. David needed a listener. He's crying out to God. In our text, we can relate to David in one way or another. In in wanting God to not only hear our prayers, but to answer them. We, we can admit, we, we want answers. Amen? We, we don't want to just be going to God. We, we're expecting answers from God. And we go to him because he can answer. But to be honest, sometimes we are an impatient people with God. We have the mentality of asking God for something and then wanting it, not now, but right now. And so, it, it, it's a reminder to us how we, we want to go to God, but we don't want to be impatient with God. And, and, and then there are other times when we misuse and abuse the blessed privilege of going. Sometimes, even though we have the ability to go to God in prayer and dump on him, he he don't mind it. He don't mind us dump. You know, we get fed up. We're like, oh, man, here we go again. Right, right. People come to us and we get fed up. Not again. Come on. Right? But, But with God, he says, bring it. Dump all you want. I want to hear about it. Why? Because it expresses that I'm depending on him. It expresses that I'm trusting in him. I'm putting it all before him. And so we we have to not misuse this opportunity to be able to cast our burdens on the Lord. And so we have this blessed privilege. In many cases, we do that Because Jesus is not as precious as he ought to be. Why don't we trust him more? Why don't we depend on him as he has required of us? Sometimes it's because of our lack of affections for him. 
We're not at the place that we need to be. We're not trusting God as we ought to trust him. And we all have to deal with that because it's a part of our sanctification. We need to be reminded of the truth of Scripture. And so sometimes Jesus is not as precious to us. It's because we're either trusting ourselves with our own problems In other words, we're feeling that we're strong and we can deal with this. But despite our actions, God is ready and available. Sometimes as Christians, we will tell everybody else about our problems and our concerns, but we never, ever take it to God. That's a problem. We're we're, we're showing adoration, more adoration to friends than to God. God, if he's Lord, he must be first in all things. And we see that in the life of David. David is going before the Lord with his trials. He's petitioning to God. And so we must do the same. We must take our petitions to God. We must learn to disclose the details at every point and in every case from deep within our hearts. We must tell it like it is. We must learn to disclose everything. We must let it be known. God will not hide from us. He will not hide from it. If you ever feel the need to tell someone about the struggles we have, we we don't have to worry about God not wanting to hear us. If you're ever feeling the need to tell someone the struggles or difficulties you are facing, remember to have God first. He listens well. 1 Peter 3 and 12 says, the text says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he hears, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is saying, come. We can trust God with everything. However, we must learn that nothing is too small for the Lord. We're not bothering God when we pray. It's not as if God will walk the other way because he sees one of his children coming towards him. He will not leave his distressed child. He will draw nearer to us because God believes that we matter. Now, to others... We might not matter to them, but we matter to God. And we must remember that going to God with any problems give us more than a reason to hope. He is the answer to all of the issues of life, but we have to keep it real. We must open up and truly express ourselves to him. David felt the need. To tell someone he trusted the situation with God. So what is David's concerns? David felt the need 
to tell someone. And he trusted God. Scholars believe that David penned this psalm at the time his son and one of his trusted counselors was in a coup to take David's throne. The two men were Absalom and Ahithophel. David prays three times for the same thing. So that thing about repetitive prayers, uh, I don't think it applies here. And think about it, when we're going through, we're going to say a lot of things. We're going to have a lot to say to God, and this, it might be difficult in even getting the words out. Because you and I know when, it, when we're really going through, sometimes we don't have no words. We're just struggling with the trial, with the issue. And we've done it before. We say, you know what, I, I, we'll talk about it later. I can't talk about this right now. I can't even form my words. And so sometimes we, we go through difficulty such as these. But this shows how badly David wants to hear from God and for God to listen to him because he answers prayers. David said the same thing three times. We don't have to always have the right words. We, we don't always have to have the right words all the time. J just speak from the heart. God knows your sorrows and griefs and the difficulties. The songwriter had it right when he penned that great song in 1855, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The first verse says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. David, like Christ, was a man of sorrows and full of tears. See it there in verse 2. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. How about you? Do you take your tears to God? Do you wallow in your trials? Not taking it to the one who has all the answers. Do you just remain and wallow and cry without taking your tears to God. He wants to hear. We see it even with David. David have learned. He have went through difficulty in his own life. He have stumbled and, and have fallen, but he've learned. The man after God's own heart. He've learned to take his cares to God. David knew that God was the answer. He knew that God was the answer. In fact, God is the fountainhead of all good things, and we can find everything we need in him. 
He knows how you've been pressed and oppressed by the unjust. We, we knew this would happen, right? We knew that we would face difficulty in being a Christian, following after Christ. God told us that persecution was coming. When we stand with God, we make ourselves enemy of Satan. If, if they hate the Savior, they will hate us too. The enemies of God are enemies of his children. David was well-renowned as a great warrior, but he was a weak man after God's own heart who sometimes fell in sin. David struggled with his own fears even though he was feared by many. This leads us to the second element. The second element you might experience in a crisis is you could become overwhelmed with fear. Listen to David's prayer beginning at verse 4. My heart is in anguish within me. The terror of death has fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. You get the feel of how David is feeling right now? And because of it, he want to do something. See it in verse 6? And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. A lot of times we want to run from our problems rather than taking it to the Lord. We just run. David says, I, I want to go. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far off. I would lodge in the wilderness. David's fear touched his very soul. So much so that it wounded his spirit. David was overwhelmed with fear. As if David says, what am I going to do? I got this issue. What am I going to do? We're in trouble. So the feelings was real. And we must recognize that our feelings are real. But what did David do that? He kept taking it to the Lord. We, we see this, you know. Fear hit David at his core. David felt as if he was a dead man walking. Some of us have treaded those waters, and by God's grace, we've survived. For those of you who haven't, keep living. David's fear caused him to tremble. Imagine that the man who was at times fearless, who was not afraid of what man could do to him, he was so afraid that he was willing to leave it all. The king was ready to walk away from his beloved kingdom. Look again at verse 6 and 7. David said, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove and fly. He, he's ready to go. Have you ever wanted to run away? Men and women of God are weak at certain points in, in our lives, but we ought not to run, right? If, if we're running, we're not running away, we're running towards, towards God. 
we face life with God. We'll not run away like the world. The world has no hope. We have God. And so we face life. We fight into the finish with the strength that God gives. However, we don't fight alone. We're not on our own, but we're trusting the Lord. Henry states it like this. Peace and quietness in silence and solitude are what the wisest and best of men have most earnestly coveted. And the more when they have been vexed and wearied with the noise of clamor of those about them, gracious souls wish to retire from the hurry and bustle of this world that they may sweetly enjoy God and themselves. And if there be any true peace on this side heaven, it is they that enjoy it in those retirements. This makes death desirable to the child of God, that it is a final escape from all the storms and tempests of the world to perfect and everlasting rest. You see, death is more desirable when we know what's at the finish line. When we know Christ is awaiting us, we'll run hard. We'll run to the finish line because of the hope we have in Christ. Next, the third element you might experience in a crisis is you might want to cry out for help. Verses 8 through 11 David saw that the storms of life was raging and the dam was about to break. And he wanted out. He sought the Lord's help. Though the king saw the evil surrounding, surrounding him with the rebellious bands of Absalom and the crafty Ahithophel, he knew God would hear his prayers. So David complained about the wickedness that was filling the land and the city. David saw evil day and night. The king was unhappy because of all of what he saw. Does this sound familiar with another king? Who said in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Today, Christ is willing to receive you to himself if you do not have relationship with him. The description of Jerusalem, America, is the same way. San Diego is the same way. Wickedness is running rampant across the lands with people committing all kinds of evil. Wickedness fills our streets and it's legalized just as it was during David's era. And you know what? It can even creep into the church. And so we must be careful in remembering to following the way of God. 
The fourth element you might experience in a crisis is you could become angry. In verses 12 through 14, we see this. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you. It was you, a man of my equal, my my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throne. David continues on from one trial to another. This shows that David was carrying a heavy load. We see him dumping, right? He's talking about all that he's dealing with. He's dumping it on the Lord. In verse 12, he changes the subject again from the sinful city to, the, to a broken friendship. And this is the relationship he had with Ahithophel. You're able to find that in 2 Samuel, I think, chapter 16 and 17, where it kind of shows you. It shows you the end result of Ahithophel and, and Ahithophel used to be David's man who used to give him counsel. They were close. They had a lot of things that they did together. And now David was on the run with Absalom. And Absalom now has Ahithophel in his camp. And they're going after David. So you can Imagine the betrayal, the stabbing in the back of how he feel, whom used to be a beloved friend, have now turned his back on him. This is David pouring out himself to God. And so he's talking about the sweet times he thought he had with a friend. It, it made it hard for him not to become angry after learning that one of his closest companion and friends was pretending the whole time. Have you ever felt betrayed? If you have, you're in good company. You're in good company. Why? Because our Lord was betrayed. Judas was intimate with the Lord and was treated like a friend. He was amongst all of the disciples and was treated in the same way. Even when he was about to betray God, he came to God and the Lord says, my friend, why why do you do this? Right? He, He still loved him. Judas was was one who betrayed his Lord. He knew the schedule. He prayed. He knew everything, but he still betrayed the master. So David could relate. Listen again to verse 14. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throne. We said crowd. David's counselor, Ahithophel, had deception and hypocrisy in his heart. And so this 
This leads to our fifth element you might experience in a crisis. You may feel betrayed. He says, let death still over them. Let them go down to shell alive for the evil is in their dwelling place and it is in their heart. But I called to God. And the Lord will save me even in the morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle I wage for many are arrayed against me. Despite all that David had experienced, he knew how to call upon the Lord. Even during times when one of his closest friends had betrayed him. Verse 16, but I called to God. And the Lord will save me. Even in the morning at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Did you take your betrayals to God? Or are you holding on to them? The danger in that is that we become bitter. We become bitter... And instead of us expressing the love of Christ, we live like the world. We respond like the world. But Christ, though was betrayed, though he was denied, he loved Judas and Peter. So the question is, do we love like that? Scripture teaches us to love our enemies, love those who despitefully use us and say all man of evil against us for his name's sake. Do we love like that? Sometimes people get hurt even in church. And many of us could have easily been offended by someone we thought to be a friend. But this is where the gospel comes in to help us through these kinds of situations. It reminds us of how we were enemies of the cross. But yet Christ saved us and forgave us for all the wrong we have done. We're able to reflect on our crises with the mind of Christ, with what the scripture teaches us. And this leads us to the sixth element we might experience in a crisis. You may want justice. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than all, yet they were drawn swords. David understands the end result of all of this because they're not trusting in God. And so it's as if he's prophesying, if you would, what's going to be their end. This shows that these men were, were deeply involved. David is Borderline bitter, but what keeps him from falling into this pit? It is that he keeps on praying. He keeps his eyes on God 
despite how he feels. He recognized how he feels, but he trusts God in the moment. David just can't forget what has happened to him. He's dealing with it as best he can. So he mentions how Ahithophel betrayed him. He's expressing that to God. And that leads us to our final point. The seventh element you might experience in a crisis is you will need someone you can trust. The one you can trust at all times is God. Listen to David's conclusion of the matter. And this is what we must practice. This is what we must do. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's the anchor we must put down. We must place our trust in God, cast our cares upon him, and remember that he will deal with it and he will give us all the answers that we would need. David continues in verse 23, But you, O God, would cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust you. It's interesting that these two men of betrayal, Judas and Ahithophel, they both hung themselves. They both killed themselves. And so it's, it's a reminder at the end of the day, what, what we do matters, how we respond matters, and in the end, trusting God Everything would take care of itself. David saw that justice would be served, but not in a way where he wanted to see them destroyed, but rather he saw destructions coming upon them because of who they did not trust in. No one who trusts the Lord will be left alone to fend for themselves. Only those who reject him will be destroyed. So the question is, do you know him today? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know him personally? Because here's the end of the matter. Without Christ, you are damned for destruction. I want to be clear in that. Now, that, that doesn't have to be what you would have. It doesn't have to be your end. Rather, the other option that is on the table is trusting in Christ, remembering that he has come to die for sin, to pay for sin once and for all, those who place faith in him, trust in him, repent, believe that he died, was buried, and rose again from the grave, you would be saved. Not on the basis of what you have done, but solely on what he have done. And that, my friend, 
is good news. That is what we call the gospel, the angelion, the good news. He's given us good news in light of the bad news. The bad news, we were dead in trespasses and in sin, deserved to go to hell. But God in his grace sent his son to be the mediator between man and God to save the sinner and him being savior. Coming your Lord if you trust in him and be saved. That's the offer that is on the table. Now here's the thing. When we leave, you would have made your decision. Hopefully is with Christ. Because the danger is, if you die and you're before the face of God, without Christ, you will forever be eternally separated from him. Look to Christ, the only one who saves, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for reminding us to cast our burdens upon you and hope in you despite all the difficulties and trials and the things we have to go through in life. We're to bring it all before you and we're to dump it on you, Lord God, for we know that you care for us. Lord, we thank you and we pray all these prayers in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.